Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast for Muncie First Brethren Church with Pastor Jim Garrett. This week we continue our series in the Gospel of John. Jesus lays out the evidence of his deity, and in doing so, he shines a light on just how lost the religious leaders are. Here's Pastor Garrett. You know, as we as we continue this uh, discussion, this really it's a long answer that Jesus is giving. And remember the context of, of what has happened here in John chapter 5. You had Jesus healing the, the man by the pool and had him, uh, you know, after 38 years of being lame, he says, take up your mat, go home. But it was on the Sabbath. And so the religious leaders you know, they, they asked him and said, who would dare tell you to do work on the Sabbath, knowing that it's against our rules and our regulations? And so as they, the man said initially, I don't know. And then he found out it was Jesus when Jesus comes up to him later and says, you know, make sure that you now stay connected. This is what this is about. There are worse things and, and, and being sure that you are uh, aware of that and and uh, so then he goes back to the religious leaders and said, it was that guy. He did it. He's the one. And not that's the guy who healed me. He might have said that. They only wanted the answer, who told you you could work? From their perspective, that was the problem. And think of this skewed perspective. We could even say uh, 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 definitely distorted. You know, the, the perspective that would say, yeah, you're healed, but... The problem is he told you to walk. And so in the midst of that discussion, Jesus responds with this answer that says, we, we are doing this together. I only do that which I see my father doing. So as we continue that discussion, as we see that come out, we're going to continue to see how that takes shape. And remembering these are answers to religious leaders they're supposed to have it all together. They're supposed to know. As we continue to worship, Sandy is going to come and lead us this morning. I think she has a poem for us. And again, I'll offer a mic to Sandy. She normally tells me no, which is fine. <laughs> you want a mic this morning, Sandy? No, I guess I can follow. Okay. Amen. Another great reminder. Yes, there's going to be a day when it's all complete, we're all together. But in the meantime, to live by faith and to know that regardless of what happens, that's where we are to be. Thanks for that, Sandy. Jesus first responded in his defense when 
he healed this man and they came after him, he said this to them. He said, my father is always at his work to this very day and I too am working. God is doing something always. God is working. This creates and forms in us Really, it should be a principled response that says, I'm going to accept that as true. Jesus acknowledges that the Father is working all the time. And so that everything he does then is just a reflection of that fact that he too is working. Well, that doesn't change just because Jesus has died on the cross and, and, and resurrected and ascended to heaven. That doesn't change. The Father is still working. He is, he is doing things around us all the time. But when he said this to those ears of the religious of that day, who, who I will say right now, because of what Jesus is going to say as we look at it today, they did not know this God that was working. They thought they did. And from every perspective of a watching world, they looked like they had it all together, and they missed everything. They had none of it. Jesus here, uh, in, in this later part of the discussion, in this later part of his answer, is going to lay that on the line for them. There's a reason you do not know the voice of the Father, because his voice is connected to the Son. And so after this, it says that they sought all the more to kill him. They wanted to, to literally it says they, they tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. But we're going to pick up this answer in verse 30. We looked last week at the first part of the answer. The, the, the question of equality says, absolutely, don't be amazed at this. I only do that which I see my father doing. I'm not going to, he doesn't back away. He doesn't qualify his original statement. He doesn't somehow uh, uh, try to convince them that he's not making this claim of equality with the father. Certainly not backing away from the actions he would do on the Sabbath. No, in fact, he, he, he simply uh, uh, reinforced that perception by saying, yes, that's, that's absolutely true. And these are the ways in which that equality is seen. And ultimately, he says it's in the, in the issue of life and in the, the, the place of judgment. All judgment has been given to me. The Father doesn't judge. He, in fact, what he says about the Father there is so interesting and unique that it, it should cause us to step back a little bit and have as, uh, uh, you know, the, as we think about it and process what's being said there, that we're able to answer those who say, you know, I, I don't want to believe in a God who sends people to hell. Well, Jesus said that that's not what the Father's about at all. The Father is about saving, bringing salvation. And so he's placed all judgment on Jesus. And I think that there's several ways we can look at that from several angles. We talked about some of those last week, not least of which is the fact that he took all judgment of sin upon himself when he died on the cross. That's the claim throughout that Jesus will make later in this, in this account, this gospel account. It's by Paul that all 
Sin was put on him so that we could become the righteousness of the Father. There, those who are in Christ, there is no condemnation in Romans 8. There's no condemnation of people who are in Christ. But the sin that would separate is judged by virtue of that sacrifice. The law demands righteousness. Jesus answers that demand. You're not asked to answer the demand. You're asked to accept the solution for that demand. That's what's so dynamic about the message of Christ and ultimately Christianity. So that when we look today at this discussion of witnesses, why can Jesus say these things? And, and on what basis are they to accept it? He's going to point them to these witnesses that have uh, undergirded the claim and ultimately, it's where you find the claim and come to know that God is behind it. So he says to them in verse 30, I, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge, make decisions only as I hear. My judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. So again, he lays further claim. This is the Father who sent him. He's saying, God sent me for this purpose, so I only do that which is consistent with that, that place. Make no confusion. Let there be no, no ifs, ands, or buts when we have this discussion about what God is presenting. It is, all, it is all summed up in this one person of Jesus. And the claims that are there as a result of that, of that promise. Jesus goes on to say, you know, if this is just me saying it, my testimony is not true. If, I, if I'm making this up, this is, and this again becomes very important in our discussions with, with people. This is not a religion uh, uh, contrived by Jesus, manufactured by him. It, he, it didn't start with him. You have to understand that. This did not start with Jesus. It starts with the Father. It starts with God. He is a fulfillment of the plan and the promise, and the relationship that is offered in him. He's not the beginning. It starts in the heart of the Father. It's expressed from the heart of the Father, and then realized and experienced through the person of Jesus. So he says, if it's just me saying it, it's not true. It doesn't hold up under the, the weight of scrutiny, under the weight of evidence. I mean, think of what he's saying. There's, there's When we think about something that we're uh, uh, testifying to, being a witness about, there, it, it requires, yeah, I can't just accuse somebody. We can't just say this happened. There has to be some kind of, of witness and usually verification and validation and, and all of those things and, and, and lined up against the evidence. I've told you the story about being a, a witness to a, a, what was ultimately shoplifting when we lived in Illinois, but it was... Uh, like the third or fourth time that this mother and her two daughters had been caught doing this. And so while I thought it would just be me telling the police what had happened, they found them, they found the product and all of that, thought it would be done, they pled not guilty. And especially the one who this would be a multiple account because they had a, um, uh, the, the, the law on the books that she was an habitual offender and so they were going to deal with her accordingly. So she pled not guilty and then I was called to testify. And I'm like, this wasn't in the plan. But I, I will say that 
as I, and this was several months later, there was something that kicked in with me when I saw what was going on, realized what was happening, that, that I remembered a lot of details. And so not knowing exactly what they were going to ask me, I knew when I had to show up, and, and uh, the prosecutor came out, and he asked me a few questions. He said, you remember what you saw that day? And I said, yeah. I said, I think I do. And he said, all right. He said, I'm going to ask you to describe it. I'm going to have a chalkboard. I'm going to have, you're going to need to tell me where you were and all of those things. And I said, okay. So I come in and he starts asking the questions. There's the chalkboard over there with the parking lot and the store. There was a grocery store and a toy store here. And I had to go tell him where I was, how many feet, estimate how many feet away I was and the lighting and all of that. And, and so he asked me how many feet away I was and I told him and, and he smiled and he looked to the jury and he said, well, He's wrong on that count. He said, he said 40 feet. He was actually precisely 42 feet away. So he was, he was smiling because he was like really glad. And he said, describe the product that she took. And I hadn't seen it since the day she took it. And I described the colors that were involved. I said it was a stack this high. I said probably it was back when game systems, you know, you don't, didn't have little discs. You had the cases like this. And described all of that. He pulls it out of the bag, and it was exactly as I had described, and he was smiling again and, and, and going through all of that. And, and the, 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 the big thing that came to it was I did not see her walk out of the store with the stuff in her hands. And I said, that's true. The, defend, the defendant's lawyer asked me that, and I said, that's true. She did not have that product in her hand. And I said, but she did have the bottom of her sweatshirt in her hand, and her sweatshirt had gotten a lot bigger when she went in. And he said, but that's not what I asked you. And I said, no, but I, you asked what was in her hands. And the judge said, he's right. You asked what he saw in her hands, and he can tell us that. And so it was just, now, on retrospect, it was fun. It wasn't fun. It took a few minutes, and, and, and she was found guilty. But the, the evidence and the witness, all of that was important. And Jesus saying, it's important. When I come and I tell you that this is what I'm here for, it's important that you understand that it's connected to this witness, this evidentiary testimony before you. Don't just take my word for it. Now, for us, we're saying, well, it's good. Jesus said it. That's enough. But he's saying it's not enough. And that is significant because it's enough to us because it, we, we've kind of assumed that, that line of evidence. Jesus doesn't want you to assume. He wants you to be able to talk about why his claims have validity and they, they hold up under scrutiny. So the first thing he says to them, there is another who testifies in my favor, and I know that his testimony about me is true, and you're thinking, ultimately, that is God, right? But it's not. It's John the Baptist. He says, you have sent to John. He has testified to the truth. Look what he says about him. It's kind of ironic. He says, but it's not that I accept human testimony. But he's saying that John is connected to the truth. So it's, it's not that just because John says it, it's because of why John says it. And so how he describes that is, but he says, I mentioned John so that you can be saved. This, this was an interesting phrase for me all week. This insertion, kind of, 
one of those that kind of surprises me. I'm like, well, well why did he say that? And, he, and he's, he, he's, he's, as he begins this, this discussion of witnesses, he's saying to them, he says, even at the, at the most fundamental level, I want you to know this so that you can be saved, so that you can understand that salvation is at stake. John the Baptist, when he came, he said, he was burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. Remember what was said about John in chapter 1? He wasn't the light, but he came to testify about the light. Jesus is calling him like a lamp. He's providing this glow, but he's not the light itself. He's the place where the light, if you think of a lamp and you think of what they would have had as a lamp, they, they had handheld lamps with a wick and, and the oil was in the bottom and, and it had to be taken care of. And those were of different sizes. He says he was the container, but the light was the truth. Ultimately, Jesus. So he says, but I have testimony weightier than that of John. I have one who testified that's greater. The works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I am doing, testify that the Father has sent me. Now, this would have really rubbed them the wrong way because their accusation was that he violated their law. And he's, he's making sure they understand he doesn't see it that way at all. It's not a violation of God's standard, and that's the only standard that mattered and should matter to them. They were all up in arms over the idea that he would violate their Sabbath and violate those instructions that they'd given to everybody. You don't do that kind of work on this day. And Jesus said, it's not work. From the very beginning, estimation of what he was doing, that wasn't work. He wasn't doing something to earn his way. He was actually doing something that was a reflection of God and his glory. He was walking. He was going home. We talked about that uh, when that happened. He, that wasn't work. The very fact he was carrying his mat, that's, and that's what they had done with all of this made it so convoluted that they missed the relationship that the Father was giving in this day of rest that he had promised and provided for them. Jesus understood it. They missed it. So here's the second witness. You have John the Baptist, and, and you could say Jesus was a witness, but he says that's not enough. John the Baptist comes in. He was pointing to the light, the source of the light. He was just carrying that, you know, giving that glow, if you will, or being a place where that could happen. Now you have the works, the very thing that, things that Jesus will do points to the fact that God's behind it. But that's not all. Because he says, and the Father who sent me, guess what? He's got something to say. But you've never heard his voice. You've not seen his form. And his word doesn't live in you because you don't believe in the one he sent. These are the religious leaders, and I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine them grinding their teeth right now and, and furrowing their brows and, and getting agitated. If they're sitting, they're, they're, they're beginning to move around. If they're standing, they're probably starting to pace. If they're near a rock, they might be picking it up. Because he's telling them, the very God you claim to know and have be connected to, you don't know at all. His word doesn't even live in you because you don't believe in the very one he sent. 
We've talked about the importance of this. We, we have to start asking, what do these claims have to do with where I am and what, what's going on in me? Well, part of it is always this challenge of taking God at his word and saying, if I'm going to do that, then I better, I better know and understand that it's defined by how he's expressed that distinctly, precisely, specifically in the person of Jesus. Because if I disconnect Jesus from this knowledge of God or this relationship with God that I think can be achieved, obtained, or attained in some way, I've missed everything that God has given me. The Father wants that relationship more than you can possibly imagine and more than you can ever want. He wants that with you, and that's why he's made it so clear that 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 happens in a very precise way. Either you believe in the one he has sent, you don't know him at all. You don't have to see his form. What did he say? He said, you, you haven't seen his form, you haven't heard his voice, but if you believe in Jesus, he's in you, his word dwells in you. It's, this is very harsh. He in no way is coddling their understanding of God. He's, in fact, calling it out and saying, you are lost. I'm saying this for your salvation. Folks, these were, not, these were the people who, who, again, from every perspective, were religious to, to, to the nth degree. They had no relationship. Jesus Jesus is the, that's where his witness is. He's, he's the, 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 the point of that. He's the place at which that is measured. So in verse 39, he says, this one, man, if they were mad before, they're going to really, you study the scriptures diligently, and they did. Because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You hear what he's saying to them? You can study the scriptures all you want. And remember, that was just the Old Testament. They didn't have any part of the New Testament as scripture. They had the Old Testament, and they knew that it presented life and relationship. And he said, that's, that's what God was giving all along. And you think that by studying them, you have life. And he says, but they pointed to me, and yet you refuse to come to me. So are you really paying attention? Are you really capturing what God is promising? He says, I don't accept glory from human beings. This is another big point because... But I know you, I know that you do not have the love of God in your hearts. I have come in my Father's name and you don't accept me. But if someone else comes in his own name, you will accept him. And he's, he's talking about, again, missing the, the, the connection from the Father. Whatever else is, well, it's just saying you seek the approval of people. You want people to say, oh, look at him, look at that person, and, and to be attached to them. You want the praise of people. You can have all of that. But he says, how can you believe since you accept glory from one another, you accept honor given to one another, you, you say, you're doing this right, you've got it all together, 
But he says, you don't seek the, the honor and glory that comes from the only God. How does he define honor and glory? This doxa, that's the word, and, and, and it has all this nuanced meaning. We, we, glory is kind of, it's just that, that reverence. That you accept all this, this, this uh, applause and, and all the praise from people, and, and you like it. You give it to one another, and, and in another place, he says, you give each other the, the seats of honor. It means nothing. Because you don't seek what God says is honorable and represents his glory. They can only come from him. But don't think I'm going to accuse you before the Father. <laughs> this is so good. Your accuser is Moses. The, uh, he means by that the author of the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Because in there he says, you know, that was... that. That Pentateuch, that first five books contained so much, the law, the instructions coming out of Egypt, their, their freedom, their, all of those things were, were contained there. And so it was so important. And he said, that's what will accuse you. You put your hopes there, but you miss the one who defines hope and defines life and defines all of those things. Your accuser is Moses. So, <laughs> the, the, you, you guys just need to know, the religious leaders, if you believe Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. Jesus is saying this of himself. Now, I know that this calls into question and begs the question, well, how do you know Jesus said this and whether this is believable? And first of all, you would, again, this is not something you would make up. If Jesus said it and he's wrong, then yes, he's a crazy man. He, he is. He's just out of his mind. If he doesn't substantiate and validate all that he claims, and that's what is so important about his life and the works that he does, it's a flow of uh, of who God is. They are that connected, and that's what Jesus is putting on display. It's not him telling him what to do and him doing it. It's this flow of, of life. He is as the son being obedient, but he's connected in a way that everything he does is a validation of what God is promising and providing in Jesus. And so he says, if you are going to believe Moses, you would believe me. I find that so interesting because it's not Jesus is saying that he's under every stone in the, in the first five books of the Bible, but he's saying that's what God has been putting out there from the very beginning. And Peter will confirm this later when he talks about him being the slain lamb and, and the price that was paid before the foundation of the world. And John, this John in Revelation will say the same thing when he's concerned about who's Who's able to, to break the seals that's in the Father's hand? And, and it's the, the slain lamb who comes forward and is fit for the assignment. Jesus says, this is, this is in a nutshell. If you want to know what God is, is, is saying about you and life and eternal life, 
look at what Jesus says because that's where it's on display. Now, again, you can make a lot of reasons and do a lot of mental gymnastics to get away from this and say, well, he didn't mean it. He, we've misinterpreted this. There just isn't a whole lot here to mess with. You have to do mental gymnastics, meaning contortions and distortions, and, and to get away. Jesus is saying very, very clearly, either you believe through the one God has sent and know him because of that, or you don't know him at all. You bet they wanted to kill him. They thought all that was secure. And he shows up and says, not only is it not secure, you're a long way away. And in many cases, they were the farthest away. Jesus will have the harshest words throughout the Gospels for those who think they're there. The blind leading the blind, the, the, the like tombs, they're whitewashed tombs, they look good on the outside, but dead bones on the inside. The last verse of the chapter says this, but since you do not believe what he wrote, how are you going to believe what I say? In other words, what I'm saying is exactly in line with what Moses would have said. He's not laying claim to anything new. He's laying claim to what has already been promised. That is very, very critical. He's, he's inviting them, go look. Ch I challenge you, go look. See if there's any difference. There's not any place you're going to find where Jesus said something different than what, what God put on display through Moses, the, all, the, all the, 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 the feasts of the Lord. They, they all line up with what God has been saying is true through his Messiah. The prophets will say that. God will double down, triple down, quadruple, however many times he will say, this is what's wrong with you. You, you go through the motions, but you don't know me. You, I'm after your heart. I'm not after the things you do. I'm after you. I want you. That's what it's always been about. Isaiah says it probably clearest, but Jeremiah's in there. You can look at all of them. Hosea, all of the prophets, that's the, that's the accusation or the claim that God is making. I just want you, but you have given your heart away. You've moved in another direction. He calls it committing adultery. James calls it that and, and, and does that in the, in the New Testament as well. You, you've, you've gone after another. I just wanted you. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. I don't want your righteousness. I want you. Jesus is the way in which God makes that claim fulfilled. I want you. Here's the way it happens. Accept what I've done. For you. You can't do for me. I'm doing this for you. So that's where the claims through the, see that first five books lays out all of these sacrifices and all of the things that, and, and, it, and all of it points to the ultimate sacrifice, the Lamb of God. Leviticus 16 just, it just starts seeping off the pages, and you're going, wow, it's here. This is, this is really what God wanted. These were shadow pictures, as Paul says. These are nothing more than a statement to say, keep your eyes open, because the real thing is coming. The substance is already there. When he comes, you're to connect those two things. They missed it. 
is out of the rules. They had conducted themselves in a, in a manner of, you know, being, thinking they could just fit it all together in their rules and their regulations and, and some of their traditions. And, and again, none of that was inherently wrong except that it was a substitute. That was their definition of knowing God. And God said, that's never been my definition of knowing me. So within that structure, Jesus is, is saying to them, if you are going to believe me, it's going to be exactly consistent with what God has said that should look like. Nothing, there's no departure from that. If, if you want to know God, you're going to know me. And you know what? You don't have to figure that out. Just take God at his word that that's the way it happens. It's an amazing thing. Now, it, we don't get any easier from here. It doesn't get any lighter. He's going to feed 5,000 people in the next chapter. He's going he, he's to walk on water to the disciples, but the, the whole conversation is not going to be about Feeding the 5,000 or walking on water. This just, okay, there could be chapters written about how did that, how did he do that? What happened? How did all of that look? No, you get brief details there. But then when the people find him and they say, oh, we want you to be our king. And he says, you only want me because I fed your bellies, you're full. You, that's the only reason you want me to be your king. You need to get after the food that God has given you on whom he set a seal of approval, the bread of life that's where this whole discussion, the rest of the chapter is long and lengthy where he says, this is what faith is. You either have life in me because I'm real bread, real food that God has given so that your faith is defined, or you have no life at all. And I'm, you're going to, it just, it just kind of blows you out of the water. It should blow you out of the water. And how ironic that I would say that after he walks on the water. You know, that's where you should be, is blown out of the water and just say, wow, what, what's the point of this? Can it be made up, or should I be taking this a little more seriously? Should I every day be saying, all right, Father, you are at work around me today. How do you want to use me in the movement that you are, are creating and generating around me? How can I stay in your hands? I'm going to trust that that's where I am in Christ because you've said so. So what will that look like today? Starting our days with statements of faith that, that, are, that, are, that are grounded in that truth. And then examining everything that, that's in our lives through that filter. What does it look like to be yours? Am I missing it? Am I, am I saying that I trust you here and yet not believing to the extent that you care about this that's going on with me? Somehow disconnected? Listen, if he's willing to say, I want to give you life and, 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 and be yours in this relationship connected in every moment, it doesn't mean at some point that he's going to stray away. No, if you know the old saying, if you don't feel close to God, guess who moved? It isn't him. It's me. So what he's offered is real and lasting. It's up to me to stay connected. That's what Paul writes about so much in Peter. That idea of staying connected, trusting him. 
in those places where we walk. Jesus is laying the groundwork, and that's what the Gospel of John is all about. Why did he write these things? So that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, and that by believing in him, you have life. So you're going to see a lot of that. You're going to see that discussion, but it's always going to be with the challenge. What am I doing with it? How does that matter to me? Am I allowing that faith to shape me today, or am I still kind of in, in a stagnation mode? That's up to you. As we move through that together, we're going to continue to be challenged at that very level. And, and honestly, this is what he's telling them. He says, you've got your law, you've got all of the structures, you've got everything you think in place. But he says, God's offering me. So the song, I'd rather have Jesus, is exactly, they want the, the, the praise of men. They want the honor given by one another. And he says, you're accepting that as a substitute. What is the honor that God wants to give you? He wants to give you life and relationship through Jesus alone. That's a greater glory and honor than you can even imagine. But you accept what comes by way of men and reject what comes by way of the Father. I'd rather have Jesus. Father, to, get, to have your eyes, to know your heart, and then to, to be an expression of that heart. But Lord, to see it all in the person of Jesus. We know that a lot of those religious leaders, after hearing these words, they didn't change their minds. They went after him all the more. What are we going to do with it, Father? And, and that's where I pray your spirit would move right now and that we would go after him, but not to get rid of him, but to know what it is to, to live by faith in your son, Jesus. So, Father, if we've not been there right now, just capture our hearts with that truth. Not that we have to figure it out mentally, but to accept by faith, what you have said is true, what Jesus has, has affirmed, and, and, and then, Lord, to know that that journey of faith means that each day we yield and surrender, that we can say, I surrender all. Lord, we love you. We thank you for loving us. Thank you for, for your truth, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.